The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. So how exactly does replacement theology work itself out in the scriptures? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown. It is Michael Brown. It is Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. I'm delighted to be with you coming from our studio today in Fort Worth at Mercy Culture, where I just taught at the Spiritual Leadership School. So this week, I've had the joy of teaching my three days at Christ for the Nations, then one morning at Upper Room School, and now my two mornings here at Spiritual Leadership School at Mercy Culture. So the same voice, but those who are watching, different backdrop. Okay. 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. 866-34-TRUTH. Any Jewish-related question of any kind, anything that ties in with the people of Israel today, the Hebrew language, Jewish custom, tradition, you name it, anything Jewish-related of any kind, very, very happy to take your call as we do every Thursday, 866-348-7884. I, as I'm talking to you, those watching will know I'm doing something on my computer. As I was pulling up my Bible software, it went into an endless cycle of, well, I don't even know how to describe it, and I'm trying to get it to shut down. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to restart my computer. You won't know a difference, but I'm just telling you in advance, if you're watching, that is what is going on. Restart indeed. Okay. You may notice those of you who are watching and you are acutely observant you will notice that i'm wearing a shirt that i wore on monday (gasps) how how could you wear the same shirt on the broadcast the same week well one thing is radio i could i could wear the same shirt every day and radio is radio and podcast is podcast and hey i'm your voice for moral saturday spiritual clarity not your face right but I'm in the midst of a really interesting trip. So flew in Sunday night. I've got five days here in Dallas, Fort Worth. Then after radio tomorrow, I fly to Jackson, Mississippi to Wesleyan Biblical Seminary to do, be part of a scholarly conference all day Saturday on the Bible and sexuality. And then after, and that's a jacket and tie conference. So I've been in casual attire through the week then Saturday jacket and tie conference. Then I fly from there to Hawaii. Yeah, uh, teaching at Ekbal School of Ministry one day, uh, grads from our school have led that for years. And then three days with the entire student body at YWAM, everyone in the discipleship training program there, teaching on moral cultural issues. So we'll be actually broadcasting from Hawaii. Then we prepared some special broadcasts to, to play when I'm in Hawaii. In any case, There's almost so much you can pack in your luggage. So I've got three different settings. I've got jacket and tie, I've got casual, then I've got short sleeves in Hawaii. So I thought, okay, I'm just gonna bring certain things and wash certain clothes on the road. So here we are, and those watching, that means tomorrow you're gonna see a shirt you saw early in the week as well. (gasps) Just background information. Okay, replacement theology, replacement theology. I don't work with anyone or interact with anyone, biblical scholars, theologians, pastors, leaders. I don't interact with anyone who says of themselves, you know, fellow workers, colleagues, we hold to replacement theology. 
They don't, they don't say that. They don't hold to that. They, those that hold to what I would call replacement theology, they would say it's fulfillment theology or expansion theology or transferal theology. But none of them would say replacement theology because they know that's a, that's a bad word or supersessionism, that the church has superseded Israel, that somehow the covenants that God gave to Israel in the Old Testament now apply to the church in the New Testament, that what Israel was called to do in the Old Testament is now done through the church in the New Testament. And some would say, well, it's always been the ecclesia. It's, it's always been the, the, the people of God. So the people of God is just a little different now. It's more Gentile than it used to be. It was mainly all ethnic Israel. Now it's more Gentile with some ethnic Israel. And, and nothing's changed. That's what someone argued. The problem is everything does change. Everything does change. And as I've been interacting with some, some precious men, love the Lord, serious about following Jesus, serious about the word, good scholars. And one of them said, I don't hold, Michael, I don't hold to replacement theology. I said, but you do. If, if, we may still differ on the outcome and how we interpret certain verses, but please understand that it is replacement theology. So for example, for example, when you say, when you make the statement that uh, Jesus is the promised land, Jesus is the new Israel, Jesus is the temple, Jesus is the promised land. When you make that statement, that is replacement theology. You know, there are many Christians who teach that, and Christian scholars, and yeah, Jesus is the new promised land. So that to me is like telling a Jewish refugee from the concentration camps after the Holocaust and now making their way to, to Israel and telling them, oh, oh, no, 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 Jesus is the promised land. That would just be like telling a starving person, oh, oh, Jesus is the bread of life. You see, the reality is that there are promises that God gave to Israel that have never been rescinded. Even though my people have sinned, like the church has sinned, we've all sinned and fallen short. The church stands by grace, Israel stands by grace. In other words, the reason that God has preserved the Jewish people through the years is not because of Jewish good works, but because of God's mercy. The reason that God has preserved the church through the years is not because the church is good works, because, but because of God's mercy. We all stand by grace, all right? And, and we all enter into right relationship with God through faith in Jesus the Messiah. That's the same for Jew and Gentile. So I, I live day and night to see my Jewish people saved. I, I grieve over Jewish friends and colleagues that, that don't know the Lord as sincere as they are. I grieve over that. So yes, Jews and Gentiles are, are lost the same way, come under God's judgment with, without faith in Messiah. If they reject the Messiah, they reject God's mercy. That doesn't mean that the promises don't remain. Paul writes in Romans 9 and says that he's, he's brokenhearted. He has continual sorrow, unceasing pain for his people. He wished that he himself, he wishes that he himself could be cut off from the Messiah. Cut off from the Messiah if only, if only Israel could be saved. That he, he would rather be damned if that could bring his Jewish people to salvation. Obviously, that's not the way it works, but that's how deep he was pained. And he says in five different ways at the beginning of Romans 9 that this was his burden. In other words, I'm not exaggerating a word. This is what he's saying. And his people, the Israelites, after the flesh, what does he say? theirs are the covenants, theirs are the promises, not were, are. This is something ongoing. The promises remain, the covenants remain. They are still given to the people of Israel. Paul writes in Romans 3.17 that the promise, which was 
followed by the law 430 years after, that the law cannot nullify the promise that was given earlier. So under the Sinai covenant, if the Jewish people obey and honor the Lord and observe the Torah, that he would bless them in the land, make them the head, not the tail. If they disobeyed, he would drive them out of the land and they would be cast away into different nations and, and, and suffer, that that would happen. However, because God made a, promer, a prior promise to Israel, he can bring the Jewish people back whenever he wants. As he said in Ezekiel 36, after the Babylonian captivity and with a future fulfillment, ongoing fulfillment that still takes place to this day, I'm not bringing you back because of your obedience. I'm bringing you back in your uncleanness, but because my name is being defiled, that's why I am doing it. That remains. So you see, when, when, when someone will say, very sincere Christian, no, I'm not replacement theology, I'm fulfillment theology. And now all the promises are fulfilled through Jesus. All the promises are fulfilled. So God made promises to physical Israel in the Old Testament, and they are now fulfilled spiritually through Jesus in the New Testament. He becomes the new Israel. He's the epitome of Israel. He's the new temple. He's the new promised land. So everything's fulfilled through him. Obviously, there is no salvation outside of him. That we understand. There is no salvation outside of faith in Jesus, the Messiah. That remains true. That remains true. But... At the same time, at the same time, it is essential to understand that God gave promises to the physical people of Israel, to the sense of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those who have joined the people through conversion over the centuries, and those promises remain the same. Nothing has changed in that regard. That's why God has preserved the Jewish people around the world, preserved my people. Even when we rejected Moses, the prophets, the Messiah, he still preserved us and kept us. And that is why, after all these centuries, he brought us back to the land, and that is why he put Jerusalem back in Jewish hands, because the promises remain. If, if you say, no, no, I'm not replacement theology, well, then I'm, I'm going to push it a little further. So when God says to physical Israel, to the Jewish people in the Old Testament, I will scatter you in my anger, but regather you in my mercy. Well, who is the you? Well, the Jewish people scattered under judgment, is that true? Is, is, that, is that plain? Yes, we were scattered under judgment. Jesus weeps over Jerusalem in the New Testament. Yeshua weeps because we're going to be scattered and come under judgment. He even says it, that we'll, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. He prophesies that as well. You'll be taken captive to all nations. He prophesies all those things. <clears throat> and I will regather you in my mercy. Is it the same you or not? If it's not the same you, then it's replacement theology. I've had Christian leaders say to me, when God says, I will scatter you in my anger, that's the Jewish people. I will regather you in my mercy, that's the church. I've had them tell me that. And tell me they're not replacement. That's replacement. You just replace the people. Or, or, <clears throat> how about this? I will scatter you in my anger. Who's that? The Jewish people. The physical scattering? Yes. And I'll regather you in my mercy. That means bringing the Jewish people back to the Messiah. So in other words, the scattering is physical. The regathering is spiritual. That's another form of replacement. You're changing the terms. You're changing the foundations. You're, you're changing the covenants. God makes a covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. A new covenant, right? Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. I'm making a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. He didn't say I'm making a new covenant with a different people, but a new covenant with the same people, Israel and Judah. That, how else is God going to clearly say I'm talking about that people, Israel and Judah? It is through Israel and Judah being a light to the nations 
and the Messiah being the Jewish Messiah, which makes him the savior of the world. It's through the covenant with Israel that now it goes to the whole church, it goes to the whole world. But it doesn't displace Israel's role as the foundation. And then as if there was any question, I, I go to these verses over and over, as if there was any question, we have Romans, excuse me, we have Jeremiah 31 verses 35 to 37, where God says, no matter what happens, as long as heaven and earth endure, until you can discover the, the, the borders of the universe, or until you can plumb the depths of the earth, or as long as sun, moon, star, as long as it's still here, my covenant with Israel remains. And he says, no matter what they do, they're always gonna remain a people. If that people that he was talking to, that physical ethnic people, if that now becomes the church as a whole, that's replacement theology. So if that's what you hold to, at least own it. At least own it. And then recognize the destructive, horrific effect it had through church history with the destruction of so many Jewish lives because of that wrong theology. That's my request. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire. There you go. Yeah, here's Thursday, the sacred words of the Shema, Hero Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. As often jump in ahead, ready to dive in, forgetting we've got our special Jewish music. You know, the funny thing, as, as I was talking to everyone that's, that's watching on, on live stream, we're having an issue getting our stream up today, and some of you were seeing me without hearing. So we'll, we'll post all the audio later so you won't miss the broadcast if there's any issue. But even describing the outfit when 99% of the people will never get to see it. Well, there we go. There we go. All right, remember, your questions must be Jewish-related. Any question of any kind, that's tomorrow. So calls are coming in, but they're not Jewish-related. So only Jewish-related calls we take on Thursday. And by the way, don't try to make it Jewish. If it's not a Jewish-related question, save it for tomorrow, okay? 866-348-7884. So I want you to be, I would love for you. See, I don't want you to. I would love for you. I would be honored. I would be blessed if you'd be praying for us now. As, as we are now going to be reaching out to different stations in different locations to expand the Line of Fire broadcast. And a, a lot of the places we wanna go have good-sized Jewish populations or larger Jewish populations than we currently have right now in most of our audiences. And when we were on every day in New York City, we were getting more and more calls from religious Jews. I had rabbis that were regular listeners. In fact, the, the rabbi who uh, the rabbi who presided over the funeral service for my mother and my sister's request, she wanted the rabbi there. He was a reform rabbi, actually a gay rabbi, pioneer gay rabbi. So we, we got to meet and exchange warm words as fellow human beings one to another at the, at the, the occasion of my mother's uh, passing. And uh, he, he told me to listen on, to me on the radio every day. And if he missed the show, he would get the podcast. Uh, I remember an ultra-Orthodox rabbi called in and said, hey, we disagree on this, but we're on the same side on these other issues. So we are really eager to get back on uh, different stations around America where we can reach a much larger Jewish audience. So many people to this day do their main listening on radio. Podcast is huge. We're out there. But so many, it's, it, and in fact, during COVID, it even bounced back and got more than it had been in years. 
So we're right at the beginning of contacting different stations, different cities, uh, looking to get the best rates so that we can reach the most people. And we're doing it with our, with our partnership with, with Ellison Media and Trivita, Michael Ellison uh, owning Trivita. So we're doing that in that partnership. So just remember, as you're enjoying each day, you're taking your no and fighting inflammation and things, or you're doing the nitric oxide and things like I, I did those yesterday before a heavy workout with a, with a fellow in the school, uh, nitric oxide and, and mild health, and it, it benefit. I mean, endurance, the strength so much better. But remember, as you're enjoying these, that you're helping us reach more people. Literally, as you're enjoying these Trivita products, uh, I'm not making this up. You are helping us reach more Jewish people. Because remember, 100% of all the first-time orders, 100% go straight to Line of Fire to get us on more stations around America. And then future orders, as you continue to enjoy the products, that over a tithe of that is going to go back. So over, over a period of years, as, as more and more of you are enjoying these products and, and enjoying wellness in a better way, you're, you're literally helping us reach more people. So quick reminder, go to Trivita.com. That's the place you go, Trivita.com. But use the special code BROWN25, capital B, BROWN25, which gives you 25% off every order. First, second, third, 25% off. BROWN25, use that code or call 800-771-5584. It's 800-771-5584. Make sure you say Dr. Brown sent you, all right? And then ask questions. Say, I'm interested in this, what works for this, and they'll be glad to help you. 800-771-5584. Say, Dr. Brown sent you. And you're literally partnering with us. You know me, no hype, no exaggeration. You're literally partnering with us to help reach Jewish people with the good news of the Messiah. All right, I've got a bunch more things to share with you, Jewish, Israel related of great interest, but we will go to the phones, starting with Aaron in New York. Welcome to the line of fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. I've been listening. Hey. I've been listening to your show for a while, and I do have a question about the Brit Mala and Briss. All right, so circumcision. Oh, I right am circumcision. Yeah. Okay, so I'm Christian. But um, in my area, the medical community will not properly do the circumcision because they do it in the one- to three-day range, which is dangerous, mm-hmm. while the local moils will not do it until the second week, which is also medically safer. Right, the eighth day. But right. I also would like to know, is there like a standard uh, ceremony for the blessings or formulation for the blessings, or does it vary based on denomination of Judaism? There, there's basically a standard formula. There may be some customs that vary from an ultra-Orthodox uh, bris, an ultra-Orthodox circumcision, to compared to reform. But as far as I know, it's basically the same formula that's, that's recited, the same words, the same prayers, uh, pretty much used. Unless things change very dramatically with reform over the years, uh, it's, it's pretty much the same. Now, now of course... Uh, as, as, a, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, you are a child of Abraham by faith, and, and circumcision was never given as a, as a requirement for Gentile believers. In fact, Paul resisted that, that Gentiles thought they had to be circumcised and obey the law of Moses in order to be saved. However, if you believe that just for safety purposes and hygiene that it's best to, to circumcise on the eighth day, and the ones that are doing that are rabbis, um, I don't know which rabbi would do it just for a Christian for those purposes. In other words, if someone is a Messianic Jew and they say, hey, we're Jewish and, and still Abrahamic covenant, we're not doing it for salvation, but it's just part, part of our 
our, our covenantal uh, harmony. Uh, there are rabbis who, who have done those, even for Messianic Jews, because they say, hey, it's still a Jewish kid, Jewish baby, and we want to do it. So I'm not exactly sure which rabbi would do it for a Gentile Christian who says, I, I just believe circumcision should be on the eighth day. Would you be willing to perform it? But um, what they're saying, though, the Jewish prayers wouldn't apply. You know what I'm saying? The, the, the ceremony. Well, I, yeah, I yeah. did find one. Oh, really? And, but he gave us the option, as since we're not Jewish, he gave us the option to just do the circumcision, or if we'd like, we can also do some of the ceremonial aspects. And I figured any opportunity to give God thanks and praise would be a good thing. Yeah, and you could just ask him, hey, could you just tell me what you're saying, right? Uh, and, and then you could say, this is appropriate or, or not, or you could just say, all right, even though this doesn't fit exactly, I'm doing this in solidarity with, with Jewish people. Yeah, if you do it with that right spirit, Sure. So I, I don't need to know names, of course, but what kind of rabbi was it? What, what background? I'm not sure. Uh, I think he's associated with the Light of Israel. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know exactly. Light of Israel could be many different groups. Very interesting. Yeah, so there's, it, there's not like some esoteric or mystical thing or some pronouncements that are going to be wrong or like, dark, you know, bringing in the dark side or Kabbalah, or, you know, whatever people might worry about. No, it's, it's just, a, it's, it's basic, it's beautiful. And uh, sure, if he's willing to do it, wonderful. And if you feel it's best for, for health reasons, why not? Yeah, and give thanks to God in the process. Sure thing. Thank you for the call, sir. Oh, yeah, I did find only a couple formulations basically saying something to the effect of blessed uh, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us with thy commandments and has given us the commandment concerning circumcision or something to that effect. That's Yo, that, yeah, that's, that's standard. Many... Many Jewish prayers but be, begin with those words and you sanctify us through his commandments and then it'll go into various rabbinic tradition like light of the Sabbath candles or, or things like that. So in that sense, you, you are not saying that your, your son is, is now being set apart and sanctified to, to obey the, the Torah and this is his initiation into that as, as a child of Israel. Uh, but as however you interpret it spiritually, as long as again, you under, do it with the right spirit. Sure. There, there's nothing that's going to, like I said, it's, it's an Israelite prayer. It's a Jewish prayer. It's a Jewish inclusion. It's presuming Torah obedience and all of that. But if that's what he's, if he's doing it in that spirit, you know, let him, let him do it. But that, that's for you to work out, you know, with your family, just decide what, what should be said and what shouldn't said. The key thing is you understand, yeah, as far as salvation, it, it, it means nothing. It does not add or take away from someone's salvation. And there's absolutely no command for Gentile to have a, a son circumcised on the eighth day. However, there's certainly nothing wrong with it, especially if you believe it's best for health purposes. And if a rabbi is willing to do it, more power to him. Excellent. Thank you. You are very welcome. Thanks for the call. 866-348-7884. So uh, as I've been teaching this semester, the second year at Spiritual Leadership School, about God's purposes for Israel. And as they're reading, our hands are stained with blood and, and they're shocked to see the history of anti-Semitism in the church and, and, and Luther's anti-Semitism and this church leader and that church leader and how the Jewish people were persecuted by the church or given choices by, by crowds during the crusades of baptism or death and horrific things like that. Some of them repudiated by church leaders, others in, in harmony with what church theology led them to. And and one of the students was saying, I just never knew this. 
here I am in my 30s reading the Bible and studying all this. I never knew any of this. And I said, listen, I, I've taught at leading seminaries in America. I mean, leading seminaries. Everyone recognized leading seminaries with leading church historians, leading scholars, top people, people that their knowledge of church history is like literally a thousand to one of what I know in church history. But this area, it's a blind spot. And I've asked these professors, at what point do you teach about anti-Semitism in church history? At what point do you teach about Chrysostom's horrific seven sermons against the Jews? At what point do you talk about Luther's anti-Semitism? At what point do you, do you give a Jewish perspective on the Crusades? And, and they've looked at me, sadness in their eyes, said, we don't. We don't. So it is a massive blind spot that remains in the church. And that, that's why I keep hitting on this replacement theology issue. It, it still exists today, still here today, it needs to be dealt with. Doesn't mean you're an anti-Semite if you hold to it, but it does open the door to anti-Semitism. It has in church history. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us on Thoroughly... Jewish Thursday, Michael Brown, delighted to be here with you. 866-348-7884. Any Jewish-related question of any kind, by all means, give us a call. If you're someone that disagrees with me, if you're a Christian who disagrees with me on this theology, or you think that Christian support of Israel today is, is misguided, if you're a Jewish person and you differ, by all means, give me a call. 866-34-TRUTH. I'm going to dive into Isaiah 62 in a moment, but first a Hebrew-related point. As, as I have studied now more of the issues of the Hebrew Israelites, so-called Hebrew Israelites, and getting ready for a debate that I'm scheduled to have, I believe it's March 23rd with a Sikari leader, so a, a radical Hebrew Israelite group, and uh, we're, we're scheduled to debate who the real Jews are, the Ashkenazi Jews versus their so-called 12 tribe chart. Now, I, have to, I have to be candid. I have to I'll just be totally honest with you. Uh, I've, I've rarely in my life, with all the debates I've done, with all the people I've encountered, with all the groups I've interacted with, I have rarely in my life run into stuff this bogus, this bizarre. I, I could make a better case for me being Santa Claus incarnate performing Elvis Presley tribute concerts. I could make a better case for that than some of their arguments. I, I mean, beyond, bo be, beyond belief bogus, but when people believe that and that's what they've heard and that's, and, and that's what they've taken in and quote evidence is presented to support it, many times it's very hard to, to reach people that have been that brainwashed or would have a, a severe level of hatred towards me as a white person. Just like there are whites with severe level of hatred toward blacks or towards Asians or towards Jews and, and, and they're, each group, they're, they're haters in every, in every corner. We understand that. Haters everywhere. So 
if, if they just see, for some, if they just see a white face, they're not going to listen at all. Or others, if they just see a black face, they won't listen. Or if they see an Asian face, they won't listen. So there's prejudice, there's hatred, there's bigotry, discrimination on all sides. I understand that. But there are many, many others who identify as Hebrew Israelites or those influenced by them in Hollywood or sports or different things that will be more open to truth. And then maybe even some of the real hardcore ones when they see the extraordinary error that they'll be more willing to, to, to think about it and, and consider, okay, maybe these views are wrong. And then ultimately the goal is to get them into real saving faith through Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah. The, uh, the, the, key, the key thing though that, that I've been looking at their, their whole so-called Lashawan Kodesh, the, the Kodesh, the, their version of Hebrew. I don't think in my life I have ever run into anything more impossibly, ridiculously, absurdly, unbelievably wrong. I, I, I mean, the level of wrongness is such that go beyond Hebrew, because Hebrew is one of, of a number of Semitic languages, that for them to be right, every Semitic speaker in the world to this day, so everyone's speaking Arabic and dialects of Arabic, everyone's speaking Aramaic dialects or using Syriac in their church service, like the Assyrian church, every Hebrew speaker around the world, and every Semitic speaker or writer in human history, including every ancient cuneiform inscription, Akkadian, Babylonian, Assyrian, these different things, Phoenician, Punic, and Moabite inscription, you, you know, every Semitic speaker throughout all history Every Semitic speaker to this day, every grammar of every Semitic language, every map with Semitic names, every transcription of Hebrew in the New Testament and in every other language around the world through all history, they're all wrong. And this new revelation that somebody allegedly gets earlier in, in the 20th century about the right pronunciation of Hebrew, that one's right. I mean, it's, it's hard to imagine it's hard to imagine anything more cult-like, anything more absurd that could well be one of the reasons that the, the Hebrew Israelite leader that said, hey, I'll, I'll, if you're given an open door to debate, I'm a leader, I'll debate you. Well, he declined debating on the real pronunciation of Hebrew. It, it, it could be he was savvy enough to, I, I don't know, so I'm not saying, but it could be he was savvy enough to know that's not an argument you could make. But it's, it's not, it's just as, well, we disagree with your Hebrew pronunciation. No, it's every Semitic language. It violates every single rule of morphology and phonology. It violates every single rule of grammatical construction. And, and I, I mean, it's, it is so mind-bogglingly wrong. You think, how could anyone believe it? But hey, if you believe, for example, if you believe that everyone who is not over six feet tall and white that they are actually an alien incarnate, that they are shapeshifters. And, you, and the more people deny it, say, oh, it's real. It's real. So we got to pray for a spirit of deception to be lifted off people. It's one thing when I debate a rabbi as Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, and we're going back through what the text said. Here's an argument here. Here's an argument there. Or Calvinist versus an Arminian. You're having a debate. Or Protestant versus a Catholic. You're having a debate. So obviously I have views and convictions in all these things. But you know, you're having, you're having debates on, on different issues and you get your argument, you get your argument. When it, when it comes to Hebrew and this, this alleged Hebrew Israelite pronunciation, there is, there's no debate. There is, there is, it, there's no more debate about that than that I'm a human being speaking to you, that I have a nose, that I have eyes. There's, there's no more debate. However, for the sake of those people in deception, you, you come with truth 
but there's got to be a lot of prayer behind it, especially when you have these strongholds of deception. And then when you mix in the hatred and the bias, again, with any group, with any group that has it, you, you get deep into white racist hatred of blacks and denigrating black. They looked at black Americans as a lower class human being. There were, there were white Americans who, who weren't even hateful people, but in their theology and the mindset, they're African, they're lower status and class. And, and that opened the door to all the horrors of slavery and segregation because people were dehumanized. So that, that it happens, tragically it happens. The, the extermination of Jews in Europe, they were looked at as, as parasites and pariahs and subhuman and you get, their, you get rid of them to save the culture, to save the world. So this hatred can go in all kinds of different directions, but it's, it's, it can over be overcome by a lot of prayer, perseverance and speaking the truth. So as we get into these debates in the future, really, really pray that, that God would open hearts, open minds. Okay, with that, I'm gonna go back to the phones. Um, let's go to Andrew in Mayaden, North Carolina. Welcome to the line of fire. Are you there? Andrew is not there. All right, let's try to go to Nathan in Charlotte, North Carolina. Welcome to the line of fire. Thanks, Dr. Brown. How are you today? Doing great, thanks. Good, good, good. Real quick, I have two two questions, and then I want to turn. I want to get off the phone and listen to what you have to say. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. I have a friend at work that showed me some videos of ultra orthodox rabbis. Mm -hmm. You were talking about the bris earlier, <laughs> sucking blood out of the wound. Have you ever heard of that? Oh yeah, yeah. It's and, an ultra orthodox practice. Okay. Yep. And some right. of them, And then the other thing, I'm yeah. going to let you talk when I'm done uh, after this. But he also believes that the earth is flat. And he uses verses like Psalm 104.5 to say that because it talks about the foundations of the earth and it talks about the earth being fixed and immovable, that that means that the earth doesn't move like it's not in orbit and it doesn't spin. And I know that you understand the Hebrew and the Greek, so I was hoping I could get off the phone and just let you talk about those two things for me just quickly. You bet. Surely. Thank you for the call, Thank you, Nathan. Dr. Brown. Yes, so right, um, uh, num number one, number one, the, there is an ultra-Orthodox Jewish practice where the, the circumcision is performed and the blood is literally sucked, sucked out. And uh, it is frowned on by many other parts of the Jewish community. I see absolutely no basis for it whatsoever in Scripture. I see no reason whatsoever why it should be practiced, but it has been something that's been practiced. Obviously, to outsiders, it's, it's horrific and weird. And what is that? and then ties in with all types of other libels and lies and, and, and false accusations against Jewish people or rabbis. But in certain ultra-Orthodox circles, it's considered the right thing to do and the best way to do things and in keeping with Jewish law. But there is, there is controversy over that. But yeah, it is, it is a practice. And if you say, oh, I'll get anyone to do that. All right, have you ever cut your finger? And then the first thing you do is you, 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 you lick or you suck, you suck the blood, right? So it's the same kind of thing. Now, some of you have never done that, but I've done it over the years. And then I remember, oh, you shouldn't ingest blood. It's not a good thing to do. But in, in, in any case, it's that same kind of thing, except with circumcision. Uh, to me, it's a bizarre practice. I see no basis for it whatsoever. So I'm not going to argue the why of it. But yeah, it does exist. Okay. Uh, if you want to try to read verses to say this, 
then you have to deal with, say, Isaiah, talking about God sitting on the circle of the earth. And hug in itself means circle. Or you have to deal here. Let's, let's, let's go to Psalm 111 for an example. Okay, Psalm 111. And it says this. Um, oh, let me get the right verses here. Hang on. Uh, or do I have the right text in front of me? Okay. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. Uh, okay, actually, no, it's another verse I'm thinking of. Sorry. But you, you have all kinds of poetic descriptions. Sorry about that. You have all kinds of poetic descriptions in the Psalms where, where God has the earth on, on pillars, sitting on pillars. You, you have all these different descriptions. They, they are metaphorical. They are spiritual pictures. When it says that the earth cannot be moved, the same way it says the righteous cannot be moved. It's not talking about physical motion. It's talking about that God has established things and what he has established, they're immovable. The fact that you have the Bible speaking of the circle of the earth means that you can't make an argument based on, oh, well, then it means it has to be spherical. Well, then what about the things that say the ends of the earth? It simply means it's observable language as far as the eye can see. When, unless you believe, unless you believe that the sun goes around the earth, not only a flat earth, but you believe that the sun goes around the earth, then what do you do in Ecclesiastes saying the sun rises and the sun sets? Or here, let, let's go to Psalm 19, okay? Let's go to Psalm 19 and, and look at what it says there. It's speaking of the sun. Uh, in the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. Is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Does, does that mean that the sun is going in a circuit around the earth? Or is this just observational language and poetic language? So please don't use the Bible contrary to how it was written and what it was intended for. And don't throw out all scientific observation based on a misunderstanding of scripture. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome back to The Line of Fire. Those of us just joining us on the live stream that had video but no audio, our apologies, but we'll post both on Facebook and YouTube. Later today, our team will get up the audio from today. So everyone that takes this in via YouTube or Facebook, will get the whole broadcast to you and you'll have the entire audio that you can listen to and enjoy. For everyone on radio podcasts, you're like, what? What is the problem? So yeah, that, this just happens, some streaming issues today. All right, 866-34-TRUTH. Oh, all right, maybe this stream's not working. Either way. Either way, don't want to take more time on that. I want to come back to the question that was just raised. When you are reading history, you're reading a historical book. So you're in school, you're reading history. That's one thing. Then you go to another class, and it's a novel. And it's just something that people made up. Okay, now you go to another class, and it's English literature, and it's poetry. So each one is a different genre. We understand that. When you're reading the Bible, you've got historical narrative, You've got prophecy, 
prophecy is not just history in advance. I mean, prophecy is not only speaking to the people of that day, but then with spiritual insight, but also about the future. But many times it's, it's in visionary language. Many times the, the, the images are, are a little different than average history. It's not as simple as just reading a headline. And then you have apocalyptic literature, like in the book of Revelation or parts of Daniel or parts of Zechariah. And, and in that, you've got these, these various beasts and characters and, and, and things portrayed in these vivid colors and everything. The end of the age is, is kind of filters in with that imagery. So you, un, you interpret everything as it should be interpreted. In other words, the literal interpretation of poetry is different than the literal interpretation of history. It's different than the literal interpretation of prophecy because they're each different genres. So it's important to understand when you're reading poetry that it's poetry and it's painting a picture and it's telling us. So the idea of the, the earth not being moved, well, well, we know all gravitational forces and everything and then the earth is, 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 is being hurled in a sense around the sun it, 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 at a certain rate of speed and it's the, the law of gravity that keeps things from shifting all over. So that's what's not being moved. And what it, what it means even more than that, because they weren't even thinking about the earth hurtling around the sun because that was not the concept in the ancient world. And if the Bible made explicit statements that the sun goes around the earth, then much of the world through much of history would have thought the Bible's wrong because we all know that the sun goes around the earth, not the earth goes around the sun. That's what people would have thought because we didn't have that understanding. The Bible's not addressing that. It's not there to make a scientific statement there. When it's the earth's not being moved, it means it's going to stay here. It's staying here through history, that there are earthquakes and storms and all this, but because God purposed that the earth's not going to be moved, the earth is staying right here. It has nothing to do with the geography of the earth, or is it flat or is it round, nor is it addressing the issue of whether it's stationary or going around the sun. But the Bible uses observational language. The, the four corners of the earth just means as far as you can see in, in, in each of the directions, north and south and east and west. That's, that's what's being spoken about there. It's not, it's not something beyond that. And again, in Ecclesiastes 1 and then Psalm 19, which I read, it's, it pictures the sun going out and a root around the earth. Then it goes back to its, kind of goes back in its cave, so to say, or in its house, and then it comes back out. And, and then obviously, depending on where you are in the world, the sun's over here in one place and hidden in another place. We understand that to be the case. But if you don't have that picture, just from where you are, it goes around here in the circuit and that's where it runs. It's just, it's observational language, it's poetic language. Well, then the Bible's not true. No, it's, it's absolutely true, but don't take it to mean something it doesn't mean. You know, if you're reading the sports scores in the newspaper, that's not, a, that's not an editorial piece, that's not an op-ed. And if you're reading an op-ed where someone is giving their opinion, that's not the same as, as the stock market where it's giving you, here's the data, this stock is worth this or that. It, so, to read it literally means as it was intended to be read. And, and then, again, I can give you different poetic pictures. One is saying this and one is saying that because it's talking about the majesty of God and who he is and, and his oversight of the creation. So let's, let's not make it say something that it is not saying. All right? Uh, okay. Eight, now, you know what? I'm just looking at the clock. I'm not going to take any calls, so I'm not going to give out the number once more either. Just a quick reminder, we are really excited to get out to my newest book, Why So Many Christians Have Left the Faith. It's really interesting. The moment people see the cover, they love the cover. 
It's, it's a great cover if you haven't seen it. But the contents are really gripping because this is a reality. On the one hand, I'm seeing everywhere I turn, young people flocking to church services. I'm seeing it with my own eyes. Hungry, going after God, serious about God. Not just in ministry schools, in church services. Coming to prayer meetings, fasting. Reports now that the spirit fell at Asbury Theological Seminary yesterday. And that chapel started in the morning and went till midnight. And now hopefully the next day something's going on. I, I, I shot a note to Craig Keener. And he got back to me and said, yeah, this is, uh, he said, we got there maybe 8.30 last night, something like that. He said they left close to midnight. So maybe even gone on through the night. And reports God's working out because there have been some historic revivals at Asbury. And have I been telling you? Have I been telling you? You've been listening. For, for many, many months, something's up. Something's up. There's a fresh wave coming. Something's up. And to me, it makes perfect sense because we've really messed up. Much of the church in America, we've really messed up. We've had so many scandals. I don't say that to attack or, or throw stones, but we've had so many scandals. We, we've, we've gotten so divided, hateful towards each other. We, we've had stains on us in the evangelical community and, and in the charismatic community and, and then ongoing issues, those of Catholic background and so many stains and issues and the failed Trump prophecies and on and on and on. And a lot of people just had it and walked out and, and, and even COVID exposing a lot of weakness in the church in different ways. And many people just dropped out and have never gone back. It's like, hey, who needs the fellowship? Who needs to be in a building or in a house with other people? And there's just, it's been a bad season and we've brought reproach to the name of Yeshua, the name of Jesus. And a lot of people have been hurt and a lot have dropped out. And it's, it's really, to me, out of the ashes of that, we've gotten so political and so on, out, out, of, the, out, of, out of our failures that God has mercy as we've humbled ourselves and cried out. Many have been praying for decades for an outpouring. Some have been praying 24 seven in their communities for an outpouring. God's moving. The Holy Spirit's at work. Things are happening. It is so important that we understand why people are leaving and, and, and understand the conflicts, the issues with, a, with sensitivity and then understand how to reach and how to help. So remember, if you yourself have struggled, if you're struggling with the faith or you've left the church, this book is for you. If you're going through deconstruction, they even have a whole chapter, is deconstruction healthy? Is this for you? Or, or if you have... You have a friend, a loved one that's struggling or that's fallen away and no longer believes. This book will, will help you to understand them and reach them. So uh, here's the number to call. This is, this is exclusively through us. You can order anywhere online to, to get the book. It'll be out next month. But to get a, 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 an advanced signed numbered copy. So it's exclusive. It's, it's only through our ministry. Here's the number to call. 800-538-5275. That's 800-538-5275. 5275. So I will personally sign each one. They'll each be numbered. So someone has no, book number one, number 50, number 100, number 200. We just do it with the first printing. It's kind of a, a custom that, that we've gotten into that we enjoy. And it's a way also if you're supporting our ministry work, our outreach. So you can go to our website and order askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. Just, just click on store. You can pre-order or you can call 800-538-5-ASK. So I want to throw something out in closing that I have thrown out before. And I've gone through this text before. But for those of you who say, no, we're not replacement. We're, we're not supersessionists. We don't have replacement theology. It's fulfillment theology. Okay. Go through Isaiah 62, especially the first eight, ten verses, where, where God appoints watchmen on the walls of Jerusalem. 
and, and, and says, give me no rest until I establish Jerusalem, the praise of all the earth. Now ask yourself, when Isaiah spoke those words, when God spoke those words through Isaiah, what did they understand? Did they understand physical Jerusalem? Did they understand the, that city? Did they understand it was a Jewish Jerusalem? Did, did they understand those things? And, and when it was passed on through the generations, right up to Jesus and the apostles, did they all understand it a certain way? And that we were to give God no rest, the beautiful Hebrew, mazkirei Adonai, those who put the Lord in remembrance. Give him no rest, give yourselves no rest, and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem, the praise of all the earth. If that no longer means literal Jewish Jerusalem, exalted by God as the praise of all the earth, Isaiah 2, all the nations will come streaming to Jerusalem in the millennial kingdom to learn of the God of Israel. There'll be no war. And, and, and Isaiah 11, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. All of that will happen. If it is no longer talking about the city of Jerusalem and the Jewish people, then you're a replacement. If you say, well, that's the church or it's the heavenly Jerusalem or it's the spiritual people of God. Or what, as long as it's no longer in your teaching that that is a prayer that God will establish Jerusalem, that city as the praise of all the earth. Obviously, as the Jewish people turn to Messiah and welcome Isaiah, excuse me, Zechariah 12, Zechariah 14, as the Messiah comes and sets his feet on the Mount of Olives, returning just as he left, Acts 1. And, and Zechariah 12, they'll look to him where they pierced. If it's not talking about that, if it's not talking about a Jewish Jerusalem welcoming back the Messiah, Matthew 23, 39, a Jewish Jerusalem must welcome him back. If it's not talking about that, if it's no longer Jerusalem, if it's the church or the heavenly Jerusalem, then just own it. Your replacement theology, your supersessionist. Own it if that's what you hold to. You can argue for it, but please own it. We'll be back taking calls on all subjects tomorrow. Another program powered by the Truth Network.